record on this thing. Huh, look at that. Uh, we are speaking with the one and only Taylor Mumson. I think I got that right. Close Almost. En- close enough. Close <laughs> enough. I-, I got the Canadian version. Uh, so anyway, the new album is A Death by Rock and Roll, which I've had a chance to listen to and enjoy. And uh, let me just start with this, because what I found is that there's sort of two moods to the album. You tell me if that's right, because the first four, you know, f- sort of five, six songs are in your face, brash, you know, metal, whatever you want to call it. And then we get into some more delicate stuff with more, you know, uh, imagery going on. Was that deliberate to sort of have two moods to it? Or am I just sort of interpreting it as my own thing? Um, no, you're, you're entirely correct. Um, you know, I don't know that deliberate is not necessarily the right word. Um, this record, you know, we went through a lot of loss in the past few years and a lot of um, you know, just, we lost a lot of people that were very close to us. And, you know, I kind of went down a very dark rabbit hole of, you know, depression and grief and, you know, everything that kind of comes with that. And this album was, was really to make a very long story short, this, this album was really the thing that kind of pulled me out of, out of that very dark place, um, that I was in. It was the writing of this record. When I finally, when I finally picked up a guitar, it was this kind of outpouring, um, that I couldn't really control. Like I I keep saying, I didn't have to try to write this record. This record kind of wrote itself, um, whether I wanted it to or not. And so it makes for a very unique album and, and where it really is this kind of complete story. And, um, and, and you're correct. Like it, it, the track listing is very important. If you want to understand the story like that is, um, it takes you on a journey and it's, it's, it does start out very, heavy and dark and almost bleak and about halfway through the album there's this kind of musical shift where um the tides start to turn and you start to go well you know there maybe there is light at the end of this tunnel and there is hope and i think that you know the more time i've had to sit with the album and and the more time i've had to reflect on it the the more i see that this album really is a hopeful record at the end of the day you know even though it's entitled death by rock and roll it's um you know, it's, it's, I think the, the overall message is that it, you know, it does get better. <laughs> well, listen, uh, listen, I, 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 I was trained, uh, I, I did a master's in psychology and I've always said everything ends, the good ends and the bad ends. And you just got to wait it out. You know, you got to wait that storm out. And, you know, um, in terms of, since you mentioned depression, how, how deep did it get? And were, were there points where you just thought, I can't do this anymore. And and did you actually dig yourself out of it? And what was it? Was it a puppy? Was it a, a friend? Was it just a song? Um, like, I mean, yeah, no, it got bad there for a while. Um, you know, not to get super heavy, but it was, I was in a very, very dark hole of depression and substance abuse and, you know, everything that comes along with trauma. And, um, I was not, you know, we, we lost a lot of people and I just, I was not emotionally equipped to handle that. Like I had never experienced anything like that before. And it, and it took me, it took me down. Um, and I, I think the scariest part about it was that I, I didn't know how to get out of it and I didn't, and, and scarier than that, it was more that I, I didn't know if I wanted to, like I became very content and very fine with kind of fading into nothing. Um, and you know, there was, there was a period there where like, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to music, like anything I put on, it didn't matter how much I loved it. It brought back some sort of memory that was too painful or too 
too relevant or too re- like I just I couldn't it's too much and I couldn't handle it. Um, and so I I as I kind of floated down this you know what seems like a never ending you know tunnel of darkness I I eventually found myself at a place where I needed music again like the in a way that I hadn't felt in a really long time like I like I need rock and roll the same way I need you know, food and water and oxygen. And I had been depriving myself of that for a long time. And so I, I started, you know, the, the way that I kind of started to fix myself was I started by, I started at the beginning. Like I went, I asked myself, I was like, what, what made you fall in love with music in the first place? Like I, you know, I kind of went back to the beginning and the answer was, it started with the Beatles. You know, it's the first band I ever heard It's the first band I fell in love with. That's the reason I started writing songs when I was young so I started there and I started listening by every listening to every Beatles record, every demo I could get my hands on, the anthology, you know, all of it. And from that, it led into Led Zeppelin and The Who and Pink Floyd and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and Oasis and you know, and eventually leading to Soundgarden where I could I could listen to Soundgarden again and have it bring me joy, um, which was something that I, I couldn't do for a long time. And so that kind of essentially re- teaching myself and re relearning and re falling in love with something that has always been there for me my whole life. Like I always say music is my best friend. Like that maybe sounds stupid to people, but music is the one thing that's always been there for me in my life and good and good times and bad times. Like it's always supported me and it's never let me down. And, and this time I needed it more than ever. And so when I got to a place where I could listen to albums and have them bring me joy the the, nat- the natural kind of evolution or next step is I started to pick up a guitar and I started to play again and that and then once I did that then the songwriting really just kind of it was like cracking I cracked a door open and then it wasn't it I didn't crack a door open it the floodgates exploded <laughs> like it was like a dam breaking and everything that I had been repressing and hiding from myself just um I couldn't hide from anymore and it just kind of was this overflowing outpour um and that's really how this record was born and, and, you know, where it all started. And, and once I wrote it, that was, that was the really first major step of me starting to fix myself and get, and get back on the right path. Um, cause to me, writing is always where I've been able to kind of find my balance and find my center. And when I, so when I finally started doing that again, it was, um, extraordinarily cathartic and, and, you know, something that I didn't know I needed. I mean, I probably did know deep down, but, um, you know, but I wasn't letting myself go there. And when I finally did, it was, uh, it was very healing. Which is interesting, because I was actually going to ask if it was cathartic, but you already answered that. So, so let me ask you this, then, because you are significantly younger than I am. And some of those bands you've quoted were even before me. How, how did you get into that? Is that is that happy place? Is it? Is it mom? Is it brother? Is it? Is it dad? Where does that come from? And is that a, like a comfort zone? Certainly a comfort zone. Uh um, it comes from, I mean, it stems from my father. Um, you know, I grew up in a household that my dad is the biggest rock and roll fan in the world. I mean, if you go into my dad's house, it's like, I like him walk, already. Feel like you're in a museum, <laughs> just rock and roll paraphernalia, like all over the place. So I grew up listening to my dad's vinyl collection. Um, and that's really where my, my love of music stems from and started. Um, cause he just introduced me to all the greats at such a young age. And, you know, once you go great, where are you going to go from there? You can't go backwards. So it's like, so I just kind of, no, I've, I've always, stuck, I've always stuck with those bands. Um, cause they struck chords in me that, that I don't, I don't know. Music just always, 
it just, it always made sense to me. It was like a language that I understood, um, without even really know, like even knowing why or how, um, it's just, it's, it always spoke to me in a, in a way that nothing else, nothing else does and nothing else can. Um, so it started with the classics from my, from my, from my dad, but then, you know, when I got a little older and started to discover music on my own, it was, I got really into like the nineties stuff of, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and then Soundgarden. And then when I, like, when I heard Soundgarden for the first time, my mind blew up. Like I, it was like hearing the Beatles for the first time. It was like, I just found another band that is the pinnacle of, of musicality. Like the, the, the amount of layers and depth that that band provides is just, is unparalleled. And so that was, that was really another kind of musical, um, I don't know what the right word is, not renaissance, but a, a musical uh, awakening. awakening. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, the Beatles was the first one, Soundgarden was the second one, and and there's your bookends. <laughs> yeah. So now I know you have some Soundgarden guys play on this, but I'll ask you about that in a second. When it comes to writing, do you write all the songs yourself or are you writing them with the band? And, uh, well, in fact, let me answer that first and I have a follow-up. Um. Well, Ben and I, the guitar player, Ben and I write all the songs. Right. We always have. We're the, we're the two writers of the band. Okay. Uh, so that's, there you go. That's, well, no, just that because in, in the past, you know, you, you, you've said that you wanted to go to music because music is where you can be. And in the other creative endeavor that you do, you, you're just play, you just play characters. So how important is it to have your voice and be the one speaking in these songs and not singing somebody else's words, for example? It's the whole thing. Okay. Like, what's, I don't, what's the point otherwise? <laughs> like, I, I don't, I never understand. Like, I, I, I appreciate, you know, songwriters who write great songs and then sell them to artists. And, you know, like, they, there's, there's some good ones out there. But to me, that's, that's never the artist that I've wanted to be. That's never the artist that, that's not the artist that I am. Like, just, you me, don't I, want I, 10 songwriters on your, on your songs. I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like the, the concept <laughs> of like writing by committee or whatever, just, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, cause to me it's about, you know, I consider myself a songwriter first and cause that's, that's the whole thing. Like that's, that's where you can, you're free to, to go in any direction. You're free to express yourself in any way you see fit or any way that's necessary. And it's, it's like I've said, I think I said it in this interview already, but it's, it's where I can find my balance as a, as a person in life. Um, you know, it's, it's my form of working through everything and, you know, and essentially documenting my life, like almost subconsciously. And it's, uh, so having someone else, in there would feel weird <laughs> like it's like someone like it's like it would feel like a bug like crawling around your head or something it's like uh, get out of my brain yeah <laughs> like, yeah but of course record companies always come to you and say you should have so and so write you a song you're just like oh god please uh we've actually been pretty fortunate i mean we like artistic control is something that i value to the highest degree like if it's not my vision I don't see the point in doing it. So I just, I won't. Um, so I've been very fortunate throughout my career to work with partners who kind of understand that and, and really allow me to express myself and, and make the art. And then once I've completed it, then it's, then the collaboration begins of like, okay, now how, you know, how are we going to release this? What's going to be the single, you know, and, and the kind of promotional side of things. But as far as the art itself goes like that, that solely has to be done by me and there can't be any outside 
voices or opinions because then it's not mine anymore and then I don't care about it. Well, let me take you up on that because, you know, art does meet commerce when, you, when you're putting out an album. So how important is it for you then to, to make the album you want to make, whether it sells 100 copies or 100,000 copies or a million copies? Does the art come first or at some point do you have to bend to the will and say, OK, yeah, we've got to make it more flashy, more of a single. We need more. The art, the art comes first and foremost, okay. and that's it. Like, the commerce, be damned. I mean, it's you know, art and commerce. I mean, they they're cross. Very, they're, they're they cross, but they're very opposing things. Like at the end of the day, um, of and they, and it, it's always a struggle to kind of find that balance. But the no, the art, art is it's the thing you you have to hold at the highest regard. Like if you're making anything for the sake of commerce, then you're doing it wrong. Like you're starting from the wrong place to begin with. And no matter how successful it is, in my, in my opinion, then it's, it's, it's already a failure. Um, so, you know, I would like to me, success is when I create something and I, you know, like finish an album, uh, for example, where I, I, I can sit, no one else has heard it yet, but I can sit back and listen to it and I can go, this is really good. And I'm really proud of that. Like, I'm really proud of what I just made that success anything that happens commercially, you know, and stuff afterwards, you know, after it's released, you know, that's all, you know, icing on top of the cake if it does well, but like it, it, but if at the end of the day, if I didn't make something that I not genuinely proud of and and can't stand behind, then I've got no legs to stand on, you know? Well, it came out great. Uh, You recorded at London Bridge Studio, famous studio for all kinds of albums. I mean, it's the whole Seattle scene is from that studio. Uh, since you discovered Nirvana and Soundgarden and so on and so forth, what was it like to sort of go to that studio? It's sort of like Abbey Road for some of us older folks. You know, you, you just walk in, you go, whoa, okay. Whoa. Uh, Jinx, whoa. Yeah. Um, no, that was incredible. I mean, we actually, we only recorded one song there, which was uh, the song Only Love Can Save Me Now, which is the song that we did with Matt and Kim. Um, and it was just an incredible experience. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer that like, people are kind of, or sorry, that, uh, places are kind of like people, like they hold memories and they hold energy inside their walls. And, and you could certainly that studio, you could certainly feel that, like you could feel the, the presence of all the records that were made there previously. Um, so getting to walk into that space, you know, and, and not just be there, but then to be there with Matt and Kim was just absolutely incredible. Like a, 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 a highlight of my musical career and, you know, I can't say enough great things about it. Like just, just walking around the studio with Kim and having him point at everything on the wall and like tell some little tidbit or story or something, you know, there's just insane. And then to hear the song come to life in real time for the first time was just mind blowing. I mean, the first time Matt hits his snare and the first note that Kim plays, like the, the speakers, I thought they were just going to explode. Like it was just the fucking coolest thing in the world. Um, and, and, and that song is really just, it's, it's one of my favorites on the album. I'm so, so proud of it. And I'm just, I'm so forever grateful to them for, for being a part of it. Cause they really, yeah. they really took it and took it to the next level. Like it, it wouldn't be the song that it is without them. So I yeah. love them. You do, and I, and I got to say, back in uh, 96, 97, we, we did an Ace Fraley tribute album, and we had Kim come out and play on it, and it was, you know, just the guy the guy just rocks. I mean, he's he's one of the best. I, I, he's one of the best, and, like, what do you, I don't even know what to say. You know, I've spent my entire, essentially, like, my entire life listening to Soundgarden, and I, 
I still don't know how to put into words what Kim does. Like it's, it's, he's like a wizard from another planet of, and even like sitting in the room and watching him do it, I'm watching it and I'm listening and I'm going, I don't, this isn't, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how you're making so much sound like it. And it's in this frenzied, chaotic, but completely succinct way. Like, I don't know. He's, he's a, he's like an alien or something. It's, it's, he's amazing. He, he really is. Um, let me just quickly ask you about the, the rollout of the album. Cause some of the singles go back to like May of 2020 and, and, and of course, the pandemic threw everything off. Um, is it strange sort of now that it, that it has it out because it's sort of been around for a year? Do you look at it and say, oh, maybe we should have changed this. Maybe we should have changed that. Does does time change anything for you as, as it's gone on? Um, no. I, I mean, when we finish an album, any of our albums, but this one in particular, when we finished it, we knew it was finished. It's It's a it's a solidified moment of this is a complete body of work. And, um, and that's the end of that chapter, you know? Um, and so that's, so no, uh, you know, even though we did have to sit on it for a while and, and wait to put it out, which was simply due to the circumstance of the right. pandemic and not knowing when touring was going to come back and putting out an album and not being able to play feels very weird. It still does. But, you know, we finally got to a point, a point where it was like, there's a song called 25. I wrote that when I was 24 turning 25. I'm now 27. I can't put this album out when I'm 30. Like I got, I got more songs to write. I got other things to say. So like we kind of closed our eyes and picked a date and went, you know, jump, go. Um, so, you know, I think, but, you know, but even having said that, even though it's been finished and completed for, you know, over a year now at this point, it, I'm still very much living in death by rock and roll. Like it's, you know, it's, it's still a part of my, daily life, even though I've kind of transcended the immediate, um, kind of pain and suffering I was in while I was making it, you know, but, but that, you know, that's the thing with, with loss and stuff like, you know, those wounds never go away. They just, they, kind of take on a different, they just kind of take on a different form and they become like scars that you, that you wear and like, and, you know, they become a part of you and you just, you learn to deal with them in a, you know, in a healthier way. <laughs> um, so, the, so the album isn't, it's, I don't think I've had enough to answer your question. I don't think I've had enough time to actually look at it from a completely outside perspective yet. Right. Like that's something right. you would have to ask me like 10 years down the line. Uh, I'm, I'm watching as we do in the interview, is it difficult to sort of tell these stories and relive it? Like, is it bringing you back to that place of pain? Because it, you, I don't want to say you seem tortured, but you seem like it's, you know, you've done a whole day of this and it's just like, uh, I just want, you know, I want to go <laughs> to the happy place. Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't, some days are harder than others, you know, like anything in life. Um, I think that, I think that I didn't, <laughs> in fact, I know I didn't exactly think um, the promotion side of this album through. <laughs> when I, right, because you're going to have to keep telling the bad stories over and over yeah. again. And it, that and I, that wears on a person. It does. And there's, there's certainly, you know, moments where, um, it's fine and it feels almost routine at this point. And like, I, you know, I've built up kind of an, enough of a wall to be able to talk about it. Um, and then there's, there's moments where it feels like I'm picking at a scab and it's like, oh, if I go too far down that rabbit hole, I'll, you know, be bleeding all over the floor again. So it's kind of, you know, but you build defenses up towards it and it's, um, but yeah, it can be, it can certainly be challenging at times, but it's also something that's really necessary. Like there's no way to speak about this record without talking about 
right. everything we went through. Like, it's just, that's, that's what it is. Well, you'll have to cut it down from like 60 interviews to six and just go, all right. <laughs> no, right. Uh, let me you just know, add. Ones and we'll call it a day. <laughs> we'll call it, yeah, yeah. But do CNN and Rolling Stone, let everybody else just copy. Um, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> let me try to get you somewhere a, a little bit more positive. You, of course, have come from a different creative field. Is this as rewarding or more rewarding, or do you still want to do both equally in terms of having that creative spark? Because different creative fields, different energies in a sense. Um, is this the one where you really want to be and, and just keep going here? Are you referring to acting? I, in a sense, yes. I don't really know what you're referring to. Well, exactly. I was referring. I was refer- I was referring to that because you it, that is a different creative endeavor. And, sure. Okay. okay. I got you. No, um, I'm just trying to be smart about how I asked the question. Yeah, no, sure. No, I just uh, I didn't know if you were talking about a previous record. No, acting to me. My God, acting is such a past life at this point. Like, well, that, well, that's it. So. Oh, it's oh, it's over. I mean, that's something I quit you know, years ago, right. um, it was something that I was put into when I was really young and it was something that I just kind of always did cause I didn't right. really know any differently. And then when I got to an age that I could make my own decisions, um, and I met the right, you know, musical partners and we right. formed this band and I wrote a records worth of material that I actually wanted people to hear and was really proud of. Um, you know, cause you write a lot of bad songs before you write good ones. Right. Like, and you can, you can act in a film when you're, you know, five right. years old, but right. No one's buying a five-year-old's record, or at least right. I hope not. Right. But, um, but I was also more more interested in the creative process. Is this just a more re- rewarding creative process? It's, it, you can't even compare them. I mean, it's, okay. it's this one is so rewarding, and, and acting to me was just simply a job that I did. And like I, you know, saying someone else's words, playing a character, and, and you, right. that's, you're not in charge of any of that. Um, you know, you're essentially just kind of a pawn. And, you know, music is, it completely, it's completely and utterly mine um, from, you know, beginning to end and everything in between. And so that you can't, you can't compare that kind of, um, that kind of creativity to what I considered a job. And I'm, and I don't, you know, by all means, I don't want to speak for like all actors or something, because I'm sure that there's many out there who, you know, consider that an art form. But for me, it was just something that, um, something I did for a while. And then I went, no, I don't have to do this anymore. I'm out. Sweet. Good, good. So, uh, so then, uh, since, since we have to wrap up in a second, where do we go from here? Because we we can't really go play anywhere. I mean, unless you want to tour Florida all, all, all for a month. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, but but how do we promote this then? Uh, I mean, what do we do? You just do these interviews and then you throw your feet up on the couch and you go, meh. Pretty much. It's very weird. <laughs> That's you kind of just summed it up. It's you know, I, I kind of have days of doing this, um, sitting at a computer. And, um, and then, yeah, the day's over and I go, well, I guess, you know, curb your enthusiasm time. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, we do have some more music videos in the pipeline that we're working on and I've been working on, um, very actively right now and there will be more singles and some more kind of like, you know, artistic extensions of this album. Um, but the thing that I'm hoping for that what hopefully happens sooner than later is aside from, you know, obviously live shows coming back would be incredible. But um, even if that can't happen, just getting into the rehearsal space with the guys and being able to play like just the four of us would be phenomenal at this point. Cause as much as I've had fun, you know, playing acoustically from home and doing kind of 
<laughs> stripped back versions of our songs and like I've gotten to do some but it's it's been cool I've gotten to do some really cool you know covers of songs which is something that I've um, you know, in collaborations with with amazing musicians that I love, like I did The Keeper with Elaine Johannes and um, Halfway There with Matt Cameron. And most recently, I just did Quicksand with Mike Garson for the David Bowie show. So, you know, things like that, that if we were in a normal circumstance, wouldn't have come to fruition. Like I just they wouldn't have happened, um, have been really beautiful and really kind of rewarding and fun. But as much as I love playing acoustic guitar and doing all that. I really miss electricity at this point. Like I need to get back in the room with the guys and I need Jamie to pound his drums and I need to crank amps and, you know, we need, I need to scream into a microphone and like feel that, that power that rock and roll is the only, you know, it's the only thing we can give you. Um, and I mean, so I'm, I'm dying for that. And that's I mean, what I'm hoping for next. I mean, that, that, that stuff is nice, but standing on the stage where, you know, Axl Rose is going to come out behind you. Yeah, is, is, that's, is, that's, that's also nice too. That's pretty yeah. sweet. I, I have to say, opening for Guns is pretty sweet. So uh, you know, anyway, uh, the pretty reckless, uh, pretty reckless uh, death by rock and roll is available now. Uh, absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you for today. Absolutely, thank you for taking the time, man. It was great to see you, and um, continue to stay safe and hang in there and all that. Well, all you know, that. you know us Canadians, we uh, we hang out just. Stay in our igloos. <laughs> yeah. Well, we miss you. We can't wait to get back to Canada when this uh, when this mess starts to clear itself up a little more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a chance to see you up here, and yeah, it's, it's a great show, and yeah, we need it back. And uh, by the way, uh, Death by Rock and Roll is a fantastic album. That first song just grabs you by the throat and just doesn't let go till the end. It's beautiful. It's well done. Thank you so much, man. We we really poured our our all into it, so it's huh? much appreciated. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> Cheers. Now, thank you for everything. All right. Have a good one. You Thanks too so now. much. Bye-bye now.